0: Let's flip to Ephesians chapter two, beginning in verse eleven. Ephesians two eleven. Ephesians two eleven through the end of the chapter. Can I get somebody with ESV to read that for us? Somebody with ESV to read that for us? you have ESV? I can if you
1: tell me again the reference. (laughs) Uh,
0: Ephesians 2, 11-22.
1: Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, So, making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens of the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit.
0: Thank you. Um, I love love to travel, and to me, the, uh when I have opportunity to travel overseas, the 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 flight is part of the journey, part of the adventure for me. Some people say they hate airports or. They don't like the long flights um, but I've I've gotten to the point where it's kind of fun even though it's a small seat and I'm not a tall guy so I I kind of fit okay uh, but if you're on a, a long flight where you're traveling eight or ten hours um, <coughs> Lauren and I got to visit my sister and brother-in-law on the mission field in South Africa and that's 16 17 18 hours you know in one seat you know it's not Stops along the way, but you're just on this airplane um, It's you know, your butt gets tired um, <laughs> You hope you don't get one of those blood clots in your legs and die um, But uh, you know, you got bad airplane food, but t- to me is there's, there's an adventure to it and Somebody once a cousin of mine who travels a lot gave me some great advice and she said Make a schedule for yourself to get through the long flight and so watch a movie read a couple chapters in your book listen to music, take a nap, eat the meal that comes, watch a movie, read a couple chapters in your book, uh, play some games on your iPod, and, and you know don't just watch three and a half movies and you're like, I'm so bored. and Don't just read your book until you're, you're, you're sick of reading. You don't just try to nap the whole time when you're not that tired, but just change it up and it actually works pretty well. The next thing you know, eight hours have passed, ten hours have passed, and, and you're there. So probably about six years ago, I was traveling with a couple guys from the church to uh, Hungary on a, a mission trip, and we were going through New York City. And um, we arrived in New York, and we were getting ready to jump on this plane to Budapest. It was about an eight-hour flight. You know, I was excited. It's fun, airports, overseas flight. And uh, if you know Craig Tuck, who's one of the other pastors here at the church, um, he bought, he, he, he was the one that purchased the tickets and so they were on his card and under his name and so we're sitting in this packed waiting room and uh they call crept up crept up please come up to the desk and we're looking around and, like this place is packed and like we, like they overbook the flight surely and like the what you don't want to do like i'm okay with some delays but i don't want to get delayed overseas you know what i mean on that long stretch because that gets frustrating. So he goes up there and talks to him. He comes back and, and talks to me and the other guy. There were three of us traveling. And he said, they bumped us to first class. <laughs> <laughs> he said they overbooked the plane and there are three open seats in first class. And Craig, I don't know if it's his, his past travel or if he had like tons of points on his credit card, but um, of all the other people traveling, you know they don't just pick somebody to to bump up. They pick the person who is top of their company's list. If it's United Airlines, like whoever is is the most well known in their in their organization, you know they're the ones that get the rights to come up. Now it wasn't it wasn't me. It was Craig. It was Craig's you know points, but we all got the benefit of it. So we bumped up to first class, and it's like an elegant party. <laughs> <laughs> so we walk. How many of you have flown overseas? You know, and have you looked into like first class area? Nope. And you know, I mean, there's like a hot tub up there. You know, <laughs> and, you know, um, I've looked in there, and I've I've priced it out before, and it's some of them are five, ten times. You know, I mean, just not not a reality. It's not like eh, I think I want to treat myself and throw another couple hundred dollars onto my ticket. Like it's literally, it takes your ticket from eight hundred to like three, four. Grand, depending on where you're going. To South Africa, it was like it was literally ten times the ticket. And so, you know, we—I get on the airplane. I don't know how, but they're like, "Hello, Mr. Beach." (laughs) (laughs) Like I hadn't even sat in my seat, you know. And so, like, I don't know how they knew who I was, but, and they—they had a tray of champagne. And uh, I don't drink, you know, but I was like, "Well, that's nice." (laughs) And uh, you know, they lead me over to the seat, and it's like, it's like why. Know, and and there's a, a footstool that on un, that unbuckles underneath you know so your legs can go up and in order to get into like the magazine rack of the seat in front of you I had to unbuckle my seatbelt you know there's there so much room like I can't reach the in-flight magazine you know to see all the trinkets I don't want like unbuckle ah, you know and, uh, and uh, I mean it was just swank and uh, yeah, it's in the Bible. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so they come, and they actually brought, like, a menu when mealtime came. And um, they had steak cooked the way you want it. Um, it was a three- or four-course meal. They put silver, silverware. They took a linen. A linen! <laughs> on a little, you know, it's like a, the, the little table that comes out. They put the linen down, and they set it all for you. And... Um, you know, they bring you the warm cloths, to like, you know, but they also, if you've been on these flights, they also um, let everybody know that if you're not in first class, you can't use the bathrooms in first class. <laughs> can't pass through the curtain, you know, so the bathroom had, like, hardwood floors. <laughs> I mean, it's still a little tiny bathroom, like, airplane bathroom, but, like, it hardwood floors, and... Um, so, you know, they're giving the announcement to everybody, all the safety stuff, and like, please use the bathroom that's in your cabin, you know, and so they shut, they shut the curtain, and like, there's, 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 I mean, literally a class distinction, you know, there, there's the front end, and then there's the back end, and it, the front end was pretty stinking light. I remember thinking, I remember thinking, if this plane crashes, it's all right, <laughs> <laughs> you know? Because, I mean, it's going to be a comfy ride down, you know? Um, And it, like, I mean, even, you know how they give you, like, peanuts and stuff? Like, they came around with this, like, porcelain tray with, like, sugared, warmed walnuts. It's just like, where am I, you know? I mean, I guess if you're paying that, you better be giving me that, you know what I mean? Um, But it was, it was, there was a a very clear class distinction. And, um, you know, when we look at this passage in Ephesians, Paul is addressing a very, very clear class distinction, really, is, is what he's doing. He's saying that, that there is a there's a difference here between these two types of people. And on this airplane, there was a difference. You know, you, you bought the difference. That's what you did. You know, I mean, I know that in the eyes of the Lord, and, you know, just to be politically correct, like everybody on that plane was equal, and I, I do believe that all, all men are all men are created equal in the, in the eyes of God. But, I mean, you could buy up. You know what I mean? And when you bought up, it changed your class. And you couldn't come past the curtain. Like, and, and things were just better, and things were nicer up there than it was in, back in the in economy. The I mean, economy's fine. You can see where you need to go. But it's not first class. And what Paul is doing here is he's talking to these believers in Ephesus who are Gentiles, is he's addressing that there's a there's a class distinction in in, in two ways. Uh, One, there's a class distinction um, between you and and Jews, uh, but there's also a class distinction between um, how God sees you versus how he sees some other people. There's a difference in how God views you. Um, All through the Old Testament, we see that God chose a certain group of people, and they were his. There was a difference between God's, God's people. And to God's people, he gave them blessing, he gave them provision, and he gave them the law. And the law said that if you love the Lord your God with all your heart, which it says, and then live in obedience, and then you follow this uh, sacrificial system, because we, we're all fallen and we all sin. But to get restitution, you have to keep up with these with these sacrifices. Then, then you're in good with God. Really, is what it's saying, and and that sounds it sounds politically incorrect and it sounds a little unfair today. But that's the way that it was. That God said, "This is my chosen people. That there that there is a difference here." Now, the fallacy comes in because of the fall of man, not the fallacy on God's part, but on man's part. And what man did with that class distinction is he took it from a place of of joy and honor and blessing, of of it's almost like, let me back up. They took it from a place of joy, honor, and blessing, and then they changed it really into racism. You know, is what was what happened. So instead of saying, look at look at how look at how good our God is to us by 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 bestowing this honor and this privilege on us, who are we that God would do that to us? Instead, they took that and said, hey, look at us. We are God's chosen people. You know? So the difference is, you know, I didn't buy up into first class, you know? It wasn't even my points that got me into first class. It was somebody else's. It was Craig Tuck's. You know, so I had no real legitimate right to get past the curtain, but it was somebody else's status that got me into first class. And so my right response to that would have been like, whoa, this is awesome. This is a blessing. This is, this is a privilege. You know, and what Jews had done to this point is they had taken that blessing and that privilege and they had perverted it to the point of like stepping past the curtain, looking into the coach and being like, literally, you know, like disgust and looking back and saying like, hey, we are the chosen ones and you are the scum. That's what it was. You know, even in the temple in Jerusalem, there was a wall that Gentiles could not pass. Even Herod, he couldn't come past the wall because this was the Holy of Holies. And you know what? If you came in here, unclean, you know? I mean, I mean, and imagine if somebody legitimately in their heart looked at you and were like, you're unclean, as opposed to me. You know, we're, I'm clean. You know, I'm, I'm the chosen one. I'm the holy one. I'm the first class one, and you're just back there with the cargo, you know? So there, there is this, this distinction as a result of the fall of man that, said, that took what was supposed to be the provision and the blessing and they, and they changed it into the up of racism. So, that being said, we enter in verse 11. And it says, therefore, referring to the, the previous verses that we talked about last week, which was all about grace, is by grace you have been saved. So that God could both show you grace and you could do good works in obedience. So therefore, because of those of the great work of grace that God has done, remember. This is the second word in verse eleven. Remember, you know, it's, let it sink into your heart, into your mind, where you once were. That you once were in economy. You know, you once were not a part of this. You need to remember that. Therefore, remember that at one time you. Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Let me read you the textbook definition of circumcision. Um, Circumcision was the removal of foreskin from the male sex organ, and it was a command by God to show His covenant to His people, it was, it was a physical, like identifiable act. Like it wasn't a like, hey, what club are you associated with? Like it was, it was clear, almost like a tattoo, like what, what gang you're part of. You know, it was it was it was, a, it, was a, it was a physical act. This is from the um, Nelson's Illustrated Bible Dictionary. He says it very well. Uh, circumcision. This action served as a sign of God's covenant. His covenant relationship with his people is signified their responsibility to serve as the holy people whom God had called as his special servants in the midst of a pagan world. Circumcision of the Jewish male was required as a visible, physical sign of the covenant between the Lord and his people. Any male not circumcised was to be separated from his people, Genesis 17, 14, and they were to be regarded as a covenant breaker. So it wasn't a, hey, this is a good idea. You should maybe do this one day. You're in or you're out. The Hebrew people came to take great pride in circumcision. In fact, it became a badge of their spiritual and their national superiority. See the racism slipping in? This practice fostered a spirit of exclusivism, exclusivism, instead of missionary zeal, to reach out to other nations as God intended. A daily prayer of the strict Jewish males was to thank God that he was neither a woman, a Samaritan, or a Gentile. Gentiles came to be regarded by the Jews as, quote, the uncircumcision. A term of disrespect, implying that non-Jewish people were outside of the circle of God's love. The terms circumcised and uncircumcised became emotionally charged symbols to Israel and their Gentile neighbors. All right? So by calling somebody an uncircumcised man, that meant that you were not into in God's chosen. You know, you're going to hell. And it's really what they were saying. It, there's us, the chosen first classers, and then you're in the back. You're not, you, I mean, it's not a curtain. The door is shut and locked. You can't get up here. You know, and you're going to go to hell because you're not God's, but we are. It is it, what it was. It's, it was that bad. So again in verse eleven, therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember, again, is the command. Remember that you were at that time three different things. Keep keep following with me in the text. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, number one, meaning that he was not your Messiah. This is where it moves away from the racism side to legitimately, if you're not a follower of of Christ, then you're not a believer. So at one time, when you were outside the family of God, separated from Christ, who is the Messiah, two, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, meaning you were not part of the chosen people, number three, and you were strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. What were the covenants of promise that he's talking about? Strangers to the covenants of promise. Well, you have the Abrahamic covenant that we see in Genesis 14, 12. Um, it says, I will make you a great nation, and then I will protect you. It's a covenant between Abraham and his offspring, the Hebrew nation. Um, you have the Mosaic covenant that says, follow my follow my ways, and I will give you the, the promised land, and I will crumble Your enemies, if you stay in me. You have the Davidic covenant, King David, King of the Jews. Um, I will make your throne last forever. These were all to God's people, you know? They were to the Jews. These covenants were between God's people and and God himself. So at one time, he's saying, verse 12, remember that you were at one time separated from that, from Christ, alienated from the people of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of all of these promises that God himself— Not a God, not one of the gods of the many pagan gods, but but God, the God, you were separated from that. You had no part in that. You were not part of the family. Verse 13, it says, but now, which is a great turning point. You know, you were, you were this, but now. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, have been brought near, how? By the blood of Christ. Jesus Christ has done it. For he himself is our peace, our together, that brings peace to the two of us. Because Paul is a Jew, but he's speaking to the Gentiles. For, verse 14. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Verse, for, for, verse 15. By abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances, that he might create in himself One new man in place of the two, so making peace. Once again, the law that was written in the Old Testament says that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, that it has to be a heart issue first. That's why the Pharisees were doing the stuff, but they were disobeying the law because their heart wasn't in it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, obey the commandments, and follow the sacrificial system because we're all imperfect. We all fall, we all sin, and when you do, to make restitution, to make yourself right with God, you go through these steps of offering the sacrifices here, monthly, here whenever you sin in these certain ways, here yearly, here corporately for the whole nation, you had the whole priest, and you had this whole thing going on. But, when Jesus Christ came into the picture, he was the final sacrifice. In Romans chapter 10, verse five, uh, 4, it says that Christ is the end of the law of righteousness for everyone who believes. So it brought an end to this demand for the sacrificial system. So when Jesus Christ came, as it says in verse 15, by abolishing the law of the commandments and the ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, that there were two statuses, that there were two classes, God's chosen people and outside. And people took that and perverted it into racism and literally made dividing walls, even though that wasn't God's intended plan. But he said, because what Christ has done, he's done away with the sacrificial system, and once for all, he has put a sacrifice down with Jesus Christ on the cross. And for those who believe, Romans ten four, the law of righteousness has come to an end. And he's taken the two different classes and said that you can be one in God's eyes. This series of, of verses here Um, it goes to like the the, the furthest extent explaining how there is no division now in God's eyes between those who are Jews and those who are Gentiles because those that are now becoming the commonwealth of Israel are those that are believing in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. That there doesn't need to be this dividing wall anymore. That you can become one. Let me read these These verses again to see the, it's like 12 points that he gives of of drawing people together. He says, Now in Christ Jesus, you, you Gentile, once were far off and you've been brought near by the blood of Christ. Verse 14, For he, Christ himself, is our peace, who has made us both one. Speaking that he has offered the sacrifice both for the Jew and for the Gentile. And he has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. And this is actually a reference to the dividing wall in in the temple. Like there was literally a wall and you can't pass it if you're a gentile. And he made it null. This does not apply anymore. That if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you can become the you can come before the throne of God because you now have a mediator, Jesus Christ, whether you're a Jew or whether you're gentile. By abolishing the law of the commandments verse 15 and ordinances that he might create in himself, in Christ, one new man in place of the two, so making peace. And he might reconcile us both to God in one body through, through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Verse 17, and he came, Jesus Christ, he came and he preached peace to you who were far off, Gentiles, and peace to those <laughs> who were near, the Jews. Verse 18, for through him we both have access in one spirit, the holy spirit to the father so then you're no longer strangers and aliens but you're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of god i wrote out here the different things that christ has done on the cross that has brought us near sometimes it's good just to look at you know so i want to write these down in verse 13 it says that he has brought us near. In verse 14, it says that he is the peace giver. In verse 14, that he is the unifier. In verse uh, fourteen it says he's the wall breaker. In verse 15, that he is the law destroyer. In verse fifteen, he is a new man creator. In verse fifteen, he is a peace maker. In verse sixteen, he is a reconciler. In verse sixteen. He is a hostility killer verse 17 he's a peace preacher in verse 18 he is an access grantor. kind of cool when you look at it all up here together isn't it verse 19 he is a citizen granter. Verse 19, he is a saint ordainer. And verse 19, he's an adopter. <laughs> Just in a couple of verses. You know? That he has brought us near, that he has given us peace that he unifies us, that he breaks down the walls, that he destroys the law, that he has made you from an old man to a new man, And he has made peace, that he has brought reconciliation, that he has killed hostility, that he has preached peace, that he has given us access where we have not had it before. He's given us citizenship when we once were aliens, and he has given us sainthood when we were once pagans, and he has adopted us in his family when we were out of his family. Boom, 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 boom. I mean, just like, this is where you remember what you once were you were outside of this and now you have brought been brought into the family blood is thicker than water you know um i appreciate michael michael helped me move a piano yesterday all right in the rain um with seth kimball gotta give credit where credit's due all right stinking heavy you know and I, I was sitting there thinking, you know, I just appreciate these guys for helping me out in a, a hassle of a project. And, Michael, if you need anything, let me know. But if, if you need anything at the same time, in the same way as my family, they're first. Hands down. Sorry. They're first. You know? And you can. And some people might say, well, the politically correct thing is, you know, they're all equal. Um... And, you know, you know, just how do you determine? No, 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 we're not. I love you, man, and I appreciate <laughs> you. But family first, first, you know? And if I don't do that, I'm sinning. That 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 there's a distinction, there's a class distinction. This is not a socioeconomic class. This is not a I don't like you. This is not a race thing. But there is a class. We have to see that. But we don't like to say that today in 2013 in Because the opposite of these things are true, you know? That if you have put your faith and your hope and your trust in the sacrificial, final, substitutionary work of Jesus Christ on the cross, then this is how your status has been changed. Tripping over my words. This is how your status has been changed. You have gone from one status in the eyes of God to another status. That there was a former way. And if you are not in the family of God, then you have a different status than the other brothers and sisters that are in the family of God. This is what the family of God has. If you're not in the family of God, then you have not been brought near. You've been left far. You have not been given peace. There is angst between you and God. And if it's not taken care of, condemnation is the result that you are not unified, that you are separated. You are, there's a distinction. There's a curtain that has been closed that separates you. That there is a wall that is still up, that can only be broken by the blood of Christ. That the law still condemns you, that it still applies to you. You are not a new man. It is the old man that is thriving in you. There is not peace. There is still divorce as opposed to reconciliation. There is still separation. There is still hostility. And he is not preaching pre- preaching peace to you. Access has been denied. You can't come in. It's disallowed. You are not a citizen. You are an alien. These rights that only apply to citizens don't apply to you. You are not a saint. You are not set aside for a greater purpose. And you have not been adopted. You are not my child. You are not part of my family. The, um, when we recognize both where we have come from, our former status as believers, and at the same time fully embrace the new status that we have as children of God, the result of A plus B equals C. And C is worship, joy, obedience, growth as a believer. And when we begin to forget where we once were, because it says, "Remember, remember, when we forget where we once were, and/or forget where we are now in our new status, then worship drops, joy drops, peace drops, growth drops. If I ever get bumped into first class as a result of somebody else's status, God forbid that I ever get arrogant, you know." and look down on the economy class that has to walk through first class, you know? I mean, what a jerk if I were to be like, you know, or to brag, you know, or to say I'm better than you. I mean, that is despicable, isn't it? Because I didn't buy that seat, you know? It's, It's nothing that I did. It's somebody else's status that got me there. These verses continue in a glorious way. Look at verse 20. Let's start with verse 19. So then, because of all these things, you are no longer in a former status before God, but you are in a new status before God. You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built, there's there's a whole construction theme going on in these last couple verses. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. That's good company. The apostles. Paul himself, the disciples, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets of the Old Testament, also good company, the guys that stood up when no one else would say say anything, and on Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, verse 21, in him the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And in Him, Jesus Christ, you also are brought, are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You know what a holy temple is? You know, when you had a city. um, In modern America, it's different. You got you got temples and churches, you know, all over the place. But really, for most, for the last ninety nine percent of mankind. In, in speaking of time, and you had one city, and you had the temple. You know, it was the one place that was consecrated. You had, you know, public spaces. You had, uh, commerce spaces. You had residential spaces, but you had a holy temple, and that was it was holy. The definition of holy is that it was set aside. It was consecrated. You know, it was taken care of, and that was a place that you specifically went to commune with God. And these verses are saying that because of the unity of Christ, that we corporately, as a group of brothers and sisters in Christ, whether Jews or Gentiles, are being brought together in the context of all those who pursue Jesus Christ, and included in that are the apostles and the prophets, and Jesus Christ himself is the cornerstone, and we are being built together into a holy temple where God resides. You know, that corporately... When we come together as a body here, the Holy Spirit is here in a greater way than when we're by ourselves. But even personally, individually, we become a temple of the Holy Spirit. That we, because we've been brought near as a result of the work of Christ, the Holy Spirit dwells within us. So as Paul is speaking to the Ephesians, he is... He's, he's speaking both to them in a, in, a, in a personal way. You need to recognize where you once were at the same time you need to recognize where you now are so that you can be built into this holy temple. That we don't need to have dissension amongst the brothers and sisters. That we need to have a community that is on the same page because we all once were but now are. That there is a strength a, a, a strength in the building together of this holy temple that cannot be replicated either by you alone or people outside the body of Christ because it's a a total status change. And I think that the American mindset of, I mean, I just don't know how to say this and it sounds right, but I think there's such a driving force of the American mindset of, of equality that sometimes we have a hard time thinking that our status as believers is different, that God views us differently than those who are not followers of Christ. no, it's sinful if we make the same transition as the Pharisees and turn that into a, a racism or you're less than me or anything like that. That, that's, that's, that, is, that is bigoted. But for us to actually recognize and say, there, there is, there is more where I am in the status of a child of God than those who are outside. And who am I but a humble servant who has been now, been brought near all of these things and ought that to motivate us to to, to share that and to, to show that so that others might be brought in. Not look down, but say, this is available to you. Romans 10, 13. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whoever calls in the name of the Lord can have their status changed. Whoever calls in the name of the Lord can be brought from outside of the family into the family. And there's a calling here for us to recognize where we came from and where we are because that directly results in our joy, our worship, our peace, and our growth. And I think as believers, living in the everyday, we just need to be reminded... In some ways, we know this, you know, but we need to keep going back to this because that is where growth and joy happens. Keep going back to the truths that we know and remember, 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 remember. Remember is a theme off of the Old and the New Testament because we have a tendency to forget even when we know all the facts. But also corporately, as a group of believers, y'all, we need this. We need the body. And I'm saying this in an appropriate way. The body needs you. You know, this church and even this group, you have something to offer because you're a part of this. You know, you're not just a name on the roll. You participate. The body is not just about, you know, hey, you need other people when you get tired to encourage you. You need to be that encourager to others who get tired. You know? That this, this it goes both ways how this temple works, it's how this body works that it's talking about here. That we need this. And I think that so often, we, as Christians in 2013, I think sometimes view church as you go to the worship service, and then anything else is a bonus. You know? I'm going to do the best I can, but anything else is a bonus. And I think that's. I think that's wrong. you know I think that there has, there's got to be community and investment on your part individually, in this corporately. And I'm not saying like you have to be a part of this class, but I think that we need to be together. You need to be a part of, of a community group we, that we need to be doing more than just Bible studies together. We need to be laughing together. And that happens outside of this building. you know? We, we should be in groups hanging out. I'm not talking about being a big exclusive. You know, that's exactly what the Pharisees did. the dividing wall. That's not what we're doing here. But we need each other as a body of Christ. And we need to remember where we were and where we are now. Be encouraged. Father, I thank you for what Christ has done for us um, When all these points on the board. And Father, may we remember where we once were. And, and, And may we... May we look in awe and joy at where we now are for those of us that have put our hope and faith in Jesus Christ. Father, I do believe that I'd be foolish to think that everybody in this room has put their faith and trust in Jesus. And if there's anybody in here who who hasn't or is confused by all this, Father, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would open up their heart and their mind to what faith is. Father, we thank you and we love you in Jesus' name.